Hey y'all, you're listening to episode 6 of the One Chit Wonder Board Gaming Podcast. This week, we played Wonderland's War, and we are joined by our special guest, Kane. Kane, you want to say hi? Yeah, hey, what's up? So, I've known Kane for, shoot, it's a pretty long while now, like seven, six, seven years now, I think. Mm. We met at BGG Con 2019. No way. Yeah. It feels like I've known you so much longer than 2019. We're old souls. How do you explain you don't play randos if you, you made friends with Kane over here? Kane is friends with Kyle, who hopefully you guys will be able to meet someday. And Kyle is married to uh, Allison. Almost forgot. But Allison <laughs> is my friend from work. Uh, we work together. So I met her a long time ago. And she's like, you should meet my husband. He's kind of nerdy. I think you guys would get along. And now Kyle's like one of my closest friends. So I met Kane through him, and we've been playing together for, I guess, just the last, what, three years now? But it seriously feels like so much longer. Yeah. It sounds like you just did the plot of a soap opera, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't, we didn't do any nefarious things behind each other's backs or wives' backs, so not quite there yet. But, uh, so, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into gaming? Yeah, so gaming, I think, similar to you, I miss that face-to-face component with friends. <clears throat> Online gaming started to become big, so a lot of friends dropped off, and uh, and I just wanted to do something where we could be at the same table, same room, and just have that tactical feel. Unplug a little bit. Exactly. And so, like a lot of people, my first game was Munchkin. Munchkin? Yeah. Oh. And uh, which, you know, we've we've evolved from that. Um, but no hate on Munchkin. People yeah. love Munchkin. I've never played. Okay. Still. But I've never played either, but my wife used to play four or five hours at a time when she used to play it. There's such a huge king-making component to that. I keep hearing like Munchkin is like an evergreen title. Like Steve Jackson is just printing money off Munchkin, and I don't know who's buying it. Because all the people that are in this hobby don't play Munchkin. And I just, I've never heard anyone suggest it or even think about playing it like... But a lot of people that start in this hobby or play Munchkin or something like, like Catherine is the one that got me into gaming, my wife, and now and she's only played Munchkin Catan for like the longest time. Really? Hmm. I guess maybe so. I just grew out of that Catan Munchkin, yeah. like that entry phase pretty quickly. Hmm. Yeah, it's a great party game, like college kids just screwing mm-hmm. each other over, but then, well, at least for me, I kind of just got over that and <laughs> wanted to go to something more strategic, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that just led me down the rabbit hole and started meeting people through board games and now I'm addicted. <laughs> well, tell us what kind of games you like, just like a general overview. So I really love thematic games. Like I will put theme over just mechanics almost. All right, Johnny, you're no longer on the show. Kane's I mean, the new, <laughs> new co-host of the Lunch and here last podcast. Week, so. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like... I don't want to just do math problems all day. Oh my! If I'm in love, if the, if I feel like I'm actually immersed in this game, then it scores high for me. So that's my big thing, you know, Nemesis, Dark Tower, um, just all these games that are dripping with theme. And but I'll play anything. I, I you know I'm a Omni gamer, right? I yeah. Suppose. Yeah. yeah. You, I can vouch for this. <laughs> we'll, we'll do Euros. We'll do party games. We'll do area control. I mean, you name it, I'm playing. So. You know, it's funny that you say like theme is the most important thing to you because every time me, you, and Kyle get together, I swear we are always playing Euros. I wonder what's the common denominator in that then. I'm going to say Kyle. <laughs> I want to roll dice. Oh, like, I don't know why we keep playing Euros. Every Kyle's time we go over there, we Kyle's just play like four one, Euros okay. in a row. Kyle has four Kickstarters show up at his house every week. He, he doesn't even remember what he ordered. <laughs> so he's like, hey, I got this new game. And since it's his house, we kind of let him control what we play. Yeah, but they're all Euros. Yes. I don't get it. That's why Kyle's my best friend, guys. I know. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite game right now? Uh, give, give us your top five. Because yes. we did top five for me and Johnny and Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, top five. On, on the spot. On the spot, right. So I'm. let's see. Nemesis number one. Oh, yes. You gotta go there. That game's just so awesome. And then Gloomhaven, actually, I think still holds strong for two. For really? Wins. Yeah. I've played through it. Three or four times now. Ooh, oh my. Respect. Yeah. 
Are you get Are you getting Frosthaven? Are y'all planning on playing that? You I'm to. not. I'm hoping a friend will. Is that friend Johnny? <laughs> not me. <laughs> Looking at Johnny. <laughs> we both looked at Johnny right when you said that. I'm all about Massive Darkness too right now. Yes. Um, really like Dune Imperium. That one's solid. Love the card play and the worker placement. And, uh, you know, you could probably name something else I like right now. Root. Root. Oh, yeah. How did I forget that? I know. That's um, all of our top fives probably. Yeah. Eclipse. I'm sure, I know you really oh, liked Eclipse. Eclipse. Eclipse, sorry. Number two. That Ooh, bump Gloomhaven. Wow. Game. That's yeah. fine. It's because he's undefeated Eclipse. in the two games I've played with. <laughs> two and oh, baby. That's how I met Kane, actually, by the way, is him coming over and playing Eclipse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> that wasn't that long ago. That was like a year ago, I know right? Kane will be exactly almost two years now. Really? Yep. 2020 okay. is when I met mm -hmm. Kane. 2020. And then you introduced me to Forbidden Stars. Yep. Which creeps in at number five, I think. <sighs> All right, Johnny, you're okay. We got a new we got a new co-host for this show. Wait, His name Johnny, is come back. <laughs> His name is Kane. He's now out the, the door. I'm out the door. Right <laughs> Speaking of Forbidden Stars, we should play it sometime. I've been itching, and I like printed out all like the custom fan-made factions, and I'm getting this 3D printer to print out minis for it. It's insane. I don't I don't even know how to play half the factions that are in the base game. You only got like two this. factions in the game. Yeah. And I've, I've and already got, got all these expansions. Why? I don't know. It's my favorite game of all time, so it's okay. Yeah. I can set it up while we're doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. We got a lot to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, what What do you look for? So you like theme. Theme is important. Yes. Obviously, like, sometimes you look at thematic games that they tend to involve a lot of dice or a lot of, like, little nitpicky one-off rules. Is there like a certain limit to those games before like it gets too cumbersome to play? Because Nemesis, I love Nemesis. It's like my number, what, three game of all time. And even for me, sometimes it feels like all the little onesie twosie rules can really bog the game down. But without those little onesie twosie rules, you miss out on a lot of the thematic implementation of going through like say the ship. You know, it's like each room has its own little effect that can be kind of annoying to always interact with. But if you don't have that, then each room feels very sterile. You know, it's just it's just a room. There's nothing special about it. Is there a cutoff for you when that's too much? Are there examples where you're like, I'm willing to put up with this, but once it gets to a certain threshold, you're like, this is just way too much? I don't think so. Not if it's a game I love. Like, I don't think you, you can't have too much of that. Um, it's tough if you're trying to bring a new player into that game and you want to share your love for this and they're just like, this is clunky, it's too much. But for me personally, if it's a game I love that's thematic, that's, you know, Ameritrash, uh, I don't think you can go wrong in that department. I like the sound of that. I think uh, one of the things that is interesting, at least from my perspective, going over the last year of my collection it's changed so much like you know i've i talked to johnny about this regularly i'm like why do i need to own great western trail great western trail is like one of the greatest euros ever made but he has a copy everyone has a copy my collection specifically has been trimmed down dramatically and since i play with johnny the most and he owns all these euros my whole collection has now just become thematic Ameritrash games, and I love it. Like, I have, like, I think three Euros in my collection right now, and I don't even know if I want to keep them. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, it, it. I like to think of it as we divide and conquer. True. You buy all the Euros, I buy all the Ameritrash games, and yeah. between the two of us, like, I think we got all of our bases covered. Yeah, any hot games, we probably have owned it or on our way to owning it at least some point yeah between the both of us i like to think that the podcast is now justification for us to just buy whatever we want yeah. we it's... need to incorporate it now so we can uh, get those write-offs <laughs> <laughs> so man someday i guess maybe maybe when we break like 20 listeners per episode we'll consider <laughs> it but let's see what else kane oh so you are we met at bgg con mm -hmm. which is a local convention mm -hmm. based out of dfw do you still see yourself going to BGG Con now? Now that we've been doing these like cabin cons and just getting together to just have like a week, like my bachelor party weekend, which you were a part of, like, 
I think this year, I know we've talked about not going to BGG Con. We're thinking about doing something like that again. Yeah, we came so much at that Kevin Con. It was insane. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question because I it's there's a lot of variables. Um, Schedules, kids, <clears throat> families, that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I know they they changed the date this year. They like moved it up a week. So not the week before Thanksgiving anymore. It's two it's weeks. Two ago. weeks before Thanksgiving. So right when, yeah. That's good, <clears throat> but there's pros and cons to it. You know, we're going to assume that we're past the, the COVID stage and they just open up like normal and there's nothing required. Um, you really, like you, the um, the vendor boots, you can't replace that. True. Demos are great. <clears throat> the yeah. demos, playing all the hotness. Um, free promos. Free, just meeting designers. I got Ryan Lockett's autograph. Yeah. That um, was pretty cool. I remember that. I was yeah, there. On uh, one of his games. We met Rodney Smith. Yeah, yeah, got a picture with Rodney. Shout out. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we so, met the snobs, the board game snobs. Yes, we did. That was cool. Played a game with them. Saw mm-hmm. Eric Lang a couple times at the couple cons I went to. Did all three of us get to play with the board game snobs? No, I showed up like a couple minutes after you guys started. But oh, okay. Did get a picture with them. Nice. <laughs> and so that stuff you can't replace. You know, you guys are great, but it's right. we're, not, we're not Rodney Smith. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty pretty big shoes to fill. But the meat of it, right? Playing games from sun up to sun down, um, that's where you have your most enjoyment, and you can do that at a Airbnb, which is some friends, and you know, you can kind of you can let loose a little more. Then. Exactly, yeah. you take get two wasted. steps. That's what, that's what you guys are trying to say. You can get wasted. Right. Two steps. You're in, you can use the restroom. You can take a nap. It's all right there under one roof. And uh, just like the food situation's easier. So it's it's really tough. I think if you had to make me choose this year, I'd probably say let's you know try the Airbnb. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, my bachelor party was the first time that I actually did execute it on this plan. We've talked about it a lot of times and we've had like, Last year for BGG Con, we did Home Con at Johnny's house, and we just met there every day and played all day for like two straight days. Yeah, but there's a sad for me. There is just something about being in the B and B with everybody that was just like extra special to me. And I like it was my bachelor party, so maybe that had something to do with it. But just like all my closest friends were just gaming, drinking, hanging out. Like I. I don't see how vendor booths and the new hotness and stuff would replace that for me. My biggest issue with BGG Con and honestly most conventions in general is you want to go there to play the games that you've never played. But you're put in this environment where you're forced to learn the game in a loud, packed environment with like a lot of stuff going on. And then the pressure of A, learning the game on the spot, teaching it on the spot is usually not conducive to the kind of games I want to play. You know, going to BGG Con and busting out Munchkin with a bunch of people that you just met. Easy. But like, when we played Eclipse at my bachelor party, we played that game for six hours. There was, Worth a, it. There was yeah. an hour teach plus playing well, the game. Wasn't that Chris's fault? Yes, Taking absolutely. Taking 45 minutes per turn. Yeah. <laughs> but still, it's just like, Chris. that kind of situation would never happen in a convention scenario unless the people you were going with already knew how to play and agreed to play it. But did you ever play in the hotness room at all? I tried. It was impossible to get in on that. I tried to it play was. on Mars in the hotness so, room. I guess I have a better experience with that because when I go to cons, I always get a hotel and you, I think you commute because you live close yeah, to Yeah, it's like 10 minutes away. So I wake up at 8 a.m., go down there all the tables are open so i would always get first pick at like whatever game i want there'd be someone that knows a game and teaches me so i always had a great experience with the hottest room that's something we well we can pretty much replicate at cabin cons or home cons too because someone owns a game they know it well to teach it just like you would at the hotness room but we don't get the latest and hottest stuff but at the end of the day you still get to learn some new games so i i'm moved away from going to general conventions as well yeah true but i mean I like to think I like to think of these cabin cons as a way to play our shelf of shame because I know we all have games that we've bought and we're just waiting to play and it doesn't always come into regular rotation on our game days or game nights and the cabin con, home con, whatever we want to call it is going to be like hey, 
I'm going to learn this game that I got in from Kickstarter six months ago. We mm-hmm. haven't gotten a chance to play it. This is the time. Like, there is something to be said about playing all the new hotness, but there's a lot of, like, relatively new hotness that we can't even get to the right. table. We were supposed to play Guards of Atlantis today. Shout out number four for Guards of Atlantis. Still can't get it to the table. Can't get a four. <laughs> <sighs> Life That's is a hard. good topic in the future. Talk about, like, player count issues. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been time before, but, like, we run into it often. All we have are player count issues. If every game was, like, two to three player optimized, it'd be easy. We would just burn through the collection. Yeah, but everything I want to play is, like, four players. Yeah, going back to BGG, some more cons I've thought of is, you know, their library, right? You can play any game you want, pretty much. Excuse me. Where the Shelf of Shame, you can still bring those games to the convention, right? You could play Mm, it there. That's true. And... Yes, you're right about the sea of a thousand people and the white noise, and it's kind of deafening. But on the flip side, there's something cool about being in a, a room full of thousands of people who all think and, you know, like the same things like you do. Uh, that, there's something special about that. That could wear off after the first day, <laughs> right? And yeah, then, once you get the con cred. <laughs> yeah, but there's other people too that aren't, that may not have a friend group like us. And it's great to go to just play with friendly strangers. Yeah, that's very fair. That's a good point. And I was in that same boat, too. Like, when I started going to, um, back in 2016 was my first con. Like, I only had my wife and my few friends that I had that I saw not very regular. So going to con all by myself on the first day before my wife got off work. And then we just, I would just game all day and always have someone to game with, which is always a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. yeah i guess that's where we're a lot different i don't really like playing with strangers like all the bgg cons i just want to play with my friends so to me bgg con or honestly any kind of con is less than ideal because really i'd rather just hang out with my friends yeah. well, which is have... also stupid to say because me and you are going to gen con and we're gonna that's, have to play that's with a randos. different motive there yeah but we're gonna have to play with strangers and i don't know if i'm ready for this we'll see well maybe we can play designers i'm okay playing rando designers <laughs> But I don't know, man. Is there anything uh, you want to say before we move on to the review portion of the show? No, I mean, I'm just glad I met you guys. This is a great group of games, and you guys are my BGG Con library. You guys <laughs> have everything I want to play. I don't ever have to buy any games. You know what? I don't even care. I, don't I want people to play my games, so you are more than welcome to play whatever yeah. you want. As long as someone enjoys a game that I enjoy, then win or lose, it doesn't matter to me at that point. I just, just have fun with friends. Yeah. I'm very grateful to have met you, too. I think I play as much with you as probably anyone else in my game groups. So mm-hmm. it's, it's I'm really grateful for yeah. your friendship. Yeah. And Thank you, you guys, for introducing me to Kane. For sure. Yeah, and you guys can't see right now, but we're all holding hands, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, last last week, we Chan and I talked about the No Pants podcast, so maybe that could be a uh-huh. come up here later. Who knows? Maybe when Delhi has a kid, we can just start the do- Dad Bod podcast. Oh, I'm already there, bro. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you got to make him pay for that. <laughs> I already got the Dad Bod going, <laughs> minus the Dad part. All right, so... Today, we actually just finished a game of Wonderland's War. Wonderland's War is a, I guess technically it's a two to five player uh, area control push your luck game. Although having played it once at two and today at three players, I think that the game definitely operates better at higher player counts. Mm -hmm. In this game, you are playing the role of different characters from the Alice in Wonderland story. You can play as Alice, the Mad Hatter, the Jabberwock, the Queen of Hearts, and um, who am I missing? Oh, the Cheshire Cat. And the game is broken down into two phases. In the first phase, you actually have kind of like a bunch of uh, variable cards set around a table, and you move around it in a rondelle type of faction. And each faction that you play each character that you play has a unique ability that you that will affect both the first phase which is called the tea party phase and the second phase which is called the war phase in the tea party phase you're going to go around and draft cards and those will add either chips to your bag or um give grant you special powers on your player board or it will grant you additional miniatures and characters that you can put onto the battle map to influence the battle 
After finishing the tea party phase, you're going to go into the war phase. And the war phase is kind of a similar mechanic to Quacks of Quedlinburg, where you're going to build a bag of chips. And during the battle phase, you're going to pull these chips out of the bag. And each bag ha or each chip in the bag has a different strength value and different modifiers that will affect the outcome of combat. You'll, you and your opponents, anyone who's involved in the battle, will continue to pull chips out of the bag until either all your opponents concede or you reach 25 points on the strength track. If for some reason that there is a tie, you'll split the victory points for the region and any quests that you'll acquire during the course of the game, you'll also be using this to try to score points. At the end of the three rounds, whoever has the most points culminating from a combination of battles that you've won, the amount of castles that you've built for winning battles, and also completing the quests, and the highest point total is the victor. What do you guys what did you guys think about the general appearance of this game? Because I can't lie to you, this is probably one of the most extravagant productions I've ever seen. And I'm a huge chip theory fan as well. Who's the designer again? Is it Druid City Games? Uh the publisher is Skybound Games, which Skybound. I think is Druid City Games. Okay. Yeah, so this is my second um, exposure to their games. I had Tidal Blades. Production was on par with this, maybe even a little better, because that one's a little more expansive game with a little more going on for it. Um, this game's production is just as good. You know, they they're very their inserts is amazing. Um, everything is really organized, and you know that miniatures, the components are just top notch. Yeah, I think we should specify. You have the deluxe version. Yes, yes. I do. And the you know components are spot on. They're great. I wouldn't say the best ever because mm -hmm. just now games nowadays are all of their production is just being top notch. Yeah, the bar's high. Yeah. I, th I think one of the reasons why I think that the production is like a, like a bar above a lot of stuff is even though the game doesn't have a ton of minis, like the game, the deluxe edition instead of pulling little cardboard tokens out of the bag, you are pulling weighted cord poker chips. And they feel so good. Like, Especially when you shuffle in the bag. Yeah, like you're shaking your bag, getting ready to pull your chips out. Mm -hmm. And then like just feeling around in there is just so satisfying. And hearing the sound of it is just so great. Like that could have easily been lightweight chips, but no, these are like very hefty, solid chips. The minis are, you know, they're good. They're not anything like Simon quality or Awakened Realms quality, but they look great. But I think for me, my biggest strength as far as the component quality goes is the deluxe chip organizer. One of the biggest criticisms about this game is a really long setup and cleanup time. But if you get the deluxe chip organizer tray, which honestly is absolutely essential, setup becomes much faster literally half the time because instead of having to organize all the chips out of the bags dumping them setting them outside leave them in the tray whenever any player picks up a card that wants a specific chip just pull it out of the tray so easy saves so much time absolutely essential to like like just making the stress of setup a lot more manageable. Just a counterpoint though, like you can do all this with a Plano box, an organized Plano box. No, for you two cannot. or three dollars. Just just saying if you're not <laughs> want to splurge for the deluxe edition. Okay, that is true. But one of the things about the beauty of the design of this thing mm -hmm. is that not only does the deluxe chip right. tray organize everything, it fits inside the core box. Like this isn't an extra tray that you have to carry around with you. It nests inside the box. Also can do that with a Plano box. Yeah, but it might be too tall and then you can't get the lid to close. You don't have the same experience with Plano box as an organizer. I think you're over... Okay, I don't know how much Plano is paying you to talk about this. We <laughs> never talked about any kind of sponsorship for Plano boxes. It's the other way around. You're just a simp for Chip Theory games. I mean, I am for sure. I <laughs> love is. Chip Theory games. Okay, so yeah, you can't put it in Plano boxes. You can't. So don't discourage you. You don't have the deluxe edition. I just think the deluxe de edition is amazing. He's just trying to justify his purchase. I already did. It's, <laughs> it's, I already did. Uh, so let's break down the game into a couple different points. We're going to talk about the Tea Party phase first. So just kind of like a recap, Tea Party is where you kind of set up your army for battle. Yeah. Uh, it's a rondel movement, so there's going to be a lot of like 
in order to for you to be able to do things to get the actions you want, one of the cool little mechanics about the tea party phase is that you can move as many spaces as you'd like around the rondelle, but once you pass the start point, you have to roll the shard dice and you could gain shards that could potentially cost you points. If you hang on to those shards, each one will cost you a negative point at the end of the game. They kind of aren't super significant in my it's, opinion. It reinforces the push your luck element of the game. You're like, you really want to draft this one action card, but you've already passed it. Or now you need to circle back, but if you circle back, you have to roll and take shards. And then if you don't balance that risk, then you take extra negative modifiers into your bag, essentially. So that's just part of the, the design of the game and the push your luck element. Yeah. This was my favorite part. This was my favorite phase of the game. This is the main part of the game, that's what I would yeah. think. The, the game the, is won or lost based off of that, almost. Yeah, the, the, the war phase is just like the push-your-luck game, mm -hmm. and you just kind of resolve the battles based on what you've done in the tea party phase. I, I really enjoyed the drafting because, honestly... Even though the cards are relatively simple, they'll give you an amount of supporters or some special Wonderlandian heroes that add to your battle or upgrades. And they seem so insignificant, but you're literally sitting there just deliberating over, do I want this card with three supporters? But then I have to roll the shard dice. It's like the littlest things, but they're just so fun to try to like decide. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of decisions in that decision space still. Like It's not overwhelming either, because there was like maybe... For our three-player game, there was maybe, what, 10 cards out at a time? Something like that. And as you draft through them, it gets slimmer, but like it's not overwhelming where I'm sitting there you know, 10 minutes trying to figure out what to do. I think moving around in a rondelle helps that a lot yes. because instead of having to look at all your decisions, you only have to look at the decisions in front of you. Mm -hmm. And there's also a little bit of strategy to that too because as you consume the cards from the table, they don't get reset until someone goes around to the head there's of the table and resets the board. So you kind of want to force your opponents to be the one to reset the board so you can have the first pick of the new batch of cards. Yeah. I like that a lot too. Kind of like a little subtle thing, but it really kind of mind games a little bit of that tea party mm -hmm. phase. Um, one thing that also, you played Alice, I played the Mad Hatter, uh, Kane, you played the Jabberwock. Mm -hmm. All three of us had actual passive abilities that affect the tea party phase. You got to put down your little poison tokens that weren't very good. <laughs> uh, Alice was able to move in the opposite direction as the rest of uh, yeah. the characters. And I got to take an extra card during the tea party phase. I like this little bit of asymmetry. Yeah, it's you know? always good to have asymmetry. Yeah, each, each hero has four different abilities that affect more during the war phase. But having like a passive ability that... Gives you a little bit of asymmetry in the tea party phase is also really cool too because otherwise it kind of spices things up and changes things based on who's in the game or not. Yeah, it helps you prioritize different things too on the on the rondelle actions based on your powers a little bit too. Like yeah. looking in hindsight, my character would really want to focus on strength because how mobile Alice is during the war phase. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the cards came out, but first gameplay asymmetric games it takes me a while to kind of figure out what the the strength of a character is. But that's like then Dudley's character has different effects. Well. Kane's character will probably prioritize a little different things too. Yeah, sucking. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, mean, I got last, so you didn't suck that. That's bad. true. Johnny came in well, last, so it wasn't yeah. that bad. Yeah, I can poison one card, but it when you have a you know twelve great cards to choose from, what's that really doing? I don't know. Well, you have to think about it from another aspect of you could poison a card. To reserve it for yourself, and that's yeah. Yeah, that's the way I had to turn it into. Yeah, which is a pretty inherent advantage because, mm -hmm. like, we saw how how terrible the madness chips are, which we'll talk about when we when we talk about the war phase. But adding another chip to that bag early, ooh, that could be really difficult it, to like, deal with. Wrecked me in that first round of combat. Yeah, but like your character, just looking at it, when I was thinking how like why it felt so underpowered, things I thought about your character is like. You can use it toward, before the first ever refresh. Having the Mad Hatter does complicate because you can just refill it without ignoring. But like in a game without the Mad Hatter, your character would probably be a little more powerful because during that first pass through before everyone's refreshed, if you just hit one card and that like no one wants or like the last good card, mm. you'll have forced someone to refresh the track for you. Mm. But so it's just you know a repeat play could change how that character plays a little bit depending on the the meta of the who's in who's in the game or not. Yeah, I really like the tea party phase. Yeah. I thought it was. Probably like, I, I I would say it's more fun than the war phase. Like I really enjoyed the push your luck mechanic of the war phase, 
but you know, as a strategic gamer, like that Tea Party phase, like really, really did it for me. The Tea Party phase is like the redeeming quality of this game for me, at least. Redeeming quality. Yeah. Wow, Ooh. that's foreshadowing. <laughs> 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 Little teaser. All right, so let's talk about the war phase then. So during the war phase, like we kind of alluded to earlier, the push your luck mechanic similar to Quacks of Quedlinburg, you take the Tea Party phase to build your bag. And then when you get to the war phase, you're kind of just like pushing your luck to pull chips out of the bag to reach a high enough strength to win that battle. One of the things that I really enjoyed about the war phase was kind of picking and choosing where you wanted to win and lose your battles. Mm -hmm. Because not only do you want to win the battles for points and to put down castles, but sometimes you just want to be in the battles to get on the forge track right. to get a free to forge. To level up, basically. Yeah, to level up or to even complete your quest. And I think the quest is a very overlooked aspect of the war phase because the quest really forces you to go into battles that you may not go in general. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I actively sought out battles in three different territories that I had no business winning just to complete the quests. And I think this does two things because it forces you to spread your troops so you can't just hold down the fort in one location. But it also kind of forces you to have to kind of like dilute your army strength too because you only have a certain number of supporters that you can pull out in any battle at any given time. And since the mechanic of the bag of the pulling mechanic is every time you pull a madness chip, you lose a supporter. So the amount of supporters in each area is really what gives you the longevity to keep pushing your luck, kind of like a like a life life count for like you know points. super yeah, hard. Yeah. Points, yeah, every time you pull a madness chip, you lose a supporter. You kind of want to see how hard you can go because if you bust, which means you lose all your supporters, you get no end game scoring, you get no forges, you get no quest completions, you miss out on a lot. And the quests really force you to try to push your luck because some of them will tell you win a battle in this location with um, one strength chip. And you're like, okay, how is this possible? Yeah. And you really want to push your luck to try to complete that. And I think that in a game like this, those quests really add up. Because mm -hmm. I remember one round, Kane, you gained like almost 20, 30 points just completing a bunch of quests and winning a bunch of battles. Yeah. It was from some quests, but not all of it. And yeah. You had the heart chips, you know, when you oh, forge yeah. them and everything yeah. like that. I, the quest to me, you know, you're only getting three victory points per completion. So it really wasn't that big of a factor. Party, See, well, I... For me, though, like, the quest cards that I didn't complete, I was one chit away from completing um, two of the ones I had. I had four cards at the quest total. If I had a fifth, and I would have scored even more. But I was one chit away from scoring, mm. activating the end game scoring, triggering for a bunch of them. So that was a, that was a big, big move or turning point, I guess. I actually disagree that the quests weren't a big part because, like, if you look at the way the areas are scored in the first round or two, they're kind of like uh, ascending scores. Like the first round, you'll score two points. Second round, you'll score six points. In the third round, I think the highest scoring 12. token was twelve. If you complete the feat. And get the end game quest together. That one quest is worth nine points. That's not an insignificant number. Is it harder yeah. than winning the areas? Absolutely. But I think sources. that yeah, I think that those are the kind of things that is gonna make the difference between winning or losing between two equally skilled players. Which also kind of leads to the thing that is kind of like a negative for me about this game. Like Johnny. You had like this really powerful character, but you just pulled yeah. so bad. Either you were greedy or just unlucky, but you lost so many battles in the first phase or in the first round uh -huh. that it coming back was just, it looks yeah. so difficult. It's a little bit of a runaway leader. Or at least I didn't have a shot unless I did really well the second round, which I did okay, but not enough to, to call back in. Yeah, but I think that part of that is kind of like the... One of the flaws that I saw while playing. So whenever you win a battle in an area, you gain a castle there. And the castle just is not only going to give you additional points at the end of the game, but it also gives you two strength in that territory if you battle there again. So winning a lot of battles in round one, you might not score a lot of points because the point tokens are lower in the first round than they are in the third round. But getting a castle down and having the plus two strength going to the second round... 
kind of a little snowball-y if yeah. you're just pulling hot and just winning because early. you get a castle and you keep all your supporters so like a lot of games like this like maybe i think ethnos is another area control game kind of similar vein if you win you take all your troops off but you get like a control marker down to score or whatnot so that's kind of a way to get the people that didn't win to like still be on the board and or in area control games it's a way to keep balancing and keep everyone in the game but this one like if you win then you're just powering up while you hurt your opponents and they or like if you bust then you're out and then you get nothing whoever yeah. wins just keeps you know, running away with it a little bit more. Yeah, kind of tough. Yeah. But I guess that's probably where the quest comes in too because mm -hmm. it forces you to have to reallocate your forces from one uh, castle to another to try to complete your quest. So right. you can't just... Because winning those battles for the high point territories is pretty critical. Yeah, that's probably about 50% of the scoring, I'd say. Yeah, probably. but it, the game does encourage you to branch out a little mm -hmm. bit. Although I do see some of the faults with like the little bit of a snowball type effect. Did you enjoy? Did you guys enjoy the bag pulling part? Was it because we've all played Quacks of Quedlinburg, right? Mm -hmm. What did you think about it compared to Quacks? Yeah, well, I love you know a little bit of luck in the game, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what a bag pulling game you know it does. Um, so I enjoyed that part, the bag building and ha kind of controlling. You know, are you going to mm -hmm. pull a bunch of bust or what? Um, and of course, the tactile feel of the chips. Yeah, that's very great. satisfying. The bag, they did it right this time, uh, you know, at the bottom, so all the chips don't get stuck oh, in yeah. one corner. <laughs> yeah, uh, when you shuffle it, the bag keeps its shape still. Yeah, it's, it's a round bottom bag, in case you guys can't see us on yeah. the podcast. <laughs> Props to the designer. Um, yeah, no, I love the, the pulling of it. That was great. Yeah. Uh, I, I did not really like Quacks very much. I felt like the game was just an exercise because... A lot of, like, in Quacks, kind of like in Wonderland's War, a lot of the game is decided in what you purchase for your bag. Yeah, market phase. And then once you get to the bag pulling phase, you're just like, okay, 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 let's go. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, like you said, there's a little bit of how hard you want to push, and the game does a good job of giving you a way to cancel out madness chips and gives you unique abilities that mm -hmm. may, like, kind of influence how you want to pull or how you want to push but ultimately, the war phase kind of still felt just pretty much like an exercise. Like It's like we're just resolving the tea party phase. Yeah. Like the game was the tea party phase. And now we're just, oh, it's a simulation to see who wins. Sure. But that also might be just because of me. I'm not a huge fan of bag builders in general. Mm -hmm. I love dice. I love cards. But just something about pulling out of a bag... And I'm not talking about the tactile feel. The tactile feel was amazing. Yeah, the bag is really yeah, it, it's like so fun. And, yeah. Like we were just shaking the bag for yeah. like 30 seconds. I like no just adding chips to the bag. I like I like Dudley, fill me up. Right. Yeah, and now I just shake the bag. So fun. Even when it was not my turn. Yeah, but just <laughs> pulling chips out of the bag, it's like almost kind of just feels like. Yeah, I don't know. It's I just think resolving a battle that we already could like maybe guess who won. Yeah. Know? So for me, like I'm not the biggest fan of deck builders or bag builders in general so for me that during that phase it really didn't do much for me because um, usually the problem i have with deck builders is hard to work for me to fray sometimes but like i don't like trying to set up an action that you might not achieve essentially so with these these games create a lot of feel bad moments for me because i can set it up like get everything i want in it and i might draw two bus tokens like right out the gate which yeah, is what happened which is what happened yeah and so you know that you still have some players because you got to pick what goes in your bag but you don't have control over that and you know that's you know you roll dice i don't know why maybe rolling dice feels more satisfying but for some reason when pulling it from the bag because i guess you have more input on that versus just rolling a dice yeah so i don't know but yeah you know, it's the same it gives me the same exact feeling if you compare it to quacks and quacks i don't rate very highly either Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for bringing up the comparison, I actually would give the nod to Quacks in this aspect. Um, Sign teams play. Because Quacks, the combos seem to hit better in that game. In this game, mm -hmm. it felt like, and I'm going to exaggerate, mm -hmm. but there was like, in the first round, you know, we had like four or five chips you're pulling from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's no real big combos. And it seems like you bust quicker, where in Quacks, you can mitigate... Or, you know, yeah. it just goes a little bit longer and it feels much more gratifying. Um, and which leads to another one of my cons of this game is I felt like the engine building didn't really pay off. You know, your bag building, essentially. And three rounds and the game's over. 
So yeah. when you finally start to get going, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's an abrupt stop. And you don't really get to fill that out. So but I think I, for me and you, our first time, like that first round, we didn't value the forging effect as much as we should have. Because mm-hmm. that like holds your bag plus lets you get much stronger actions too. So, you know, maybe a second play if we, maybe that would have got our engines up faster. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. I definitely need to play this again. I'm I, totally I, I, down for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I think that was a, a con, um, and then, you know, since we're staying on cons, I'll go ahead and uh, tell you the other thing is, and this might just be a personal thing for me, and I think Dudley, you know this. There's a lot of things to keep track of, and knowing me, of course, I would forget things, and it'd already be next player's turn, and it's just, I'm kicking myself. And again, I know that's a personal problem, but, you know, for other people like me who might have ADHD or whatever, um, that can be an issue. Um, I just like simple iconography or just like a one-line sentence listing all the player powers. Um, so it wasn't like a huge deal breaker for me, but that was in the track too. Me and Johnny both forgot, you know, when you end on a forge space, you get to forge. We missed that a few times, I feel like. I totally agree with you. It Based on how you guys are describing me, I think I enjoyed the game probably the most out of the three of us. Mm-hmm. It, but it was my second play, so I had a better grasp on a lot of the little nitpicky things. But you're absolutely right. When we started the game, I told you guys, I was like, this is where you're going to forget stuff. Because like one of the things that is great about the game is that it introduces a lot of variability. You have all these existing ally chips that you can buy, but there's four different setups for all of them. Like, that means that you might buy a Flamingo chip on the first play, and it will do this. But the next time we play, we'll use a different variant of the Flamingo chip, and you're going to like, oh, well, I have to remember this. And then that, combined with all of the Wonderlandians you can buy, plus your asymmetric powers, plus your opponent's asymmetric powers, it's one of those kind of games where you're always, like, checking and seeing like who does what, what does what, and that can be kind of annoying. And I I definitely know I forgot a couple abilities here and there. You guys forgot a bunch of abilities, so but it's the first game. Everyone it happens to all of us. Yeah, it could get better over time, but you're spot on. This game is very has a ton of abilities. Mm-hmm. But you know what? This seems like as good a time as go as any to go into our final thoughts. So Johnny, you wanna go first? Yeah. So um I enjoyed the game. So uh, I'll get to my rating in a second, but bag builders and deck builders are never going to land very well with me in general. So I, I came in this game with an open mind, and I enjoyed that tea party phase that we talked about a lot because that was where there was actually a lot of strategic um, decisions to be made. And But beyond that, once we get into the bag pooling during the war phase, it's just like, let's see what happens here. Um, so, you know, push your luck, bag building. It just didn't really, like Kane said earlier too, the engine building just really doesn't give you that big payoff and then it's over before you know it so for my thoughts like i would i play this game again if dudley wants to i will um but i'm not gonna ask for it very often or anything like that so i probably rate it a six is what i would give it right now um maybe we play enough and we got really good at it maybe bump it to seven at best for me but it was okay it was an okay experience i don't have too much to say about it yeah so for me um the production is great the artwork is great like I said, I, I love theme. I was never really a Alice in Wonderland, like... Fan, Stan. <laughs> yeah, sure. But the way that they twisted this and they made it a little more dark, I thought that was very clever. Makes it more interesting for, you know, adults and stuff like that. Um, Playtime was perfect. It wasn't too long. Um, although I wouldn't have mind letting it go a little bit longer if we could have got maybe a fourth round in. Uh, that might have been when, you know, those combos and your engine was really hitting its stride. Um, if they could do that, maybe like a two or three player count. Um, but yeah, I think I need another play. Right now I would give it a 6.5, but that could change with another play. Uh, there was a huge advantage to Dudley. He's played this once before and, you know, that really came into play. That was a huge factor. Um, the other thing we didn't mention is the scores. It was not close at all. Like, yeah. Uh, it was 20 points between each of us, I feel like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
that's really never a good sign. But again, that could be Dudley had the advantage. He, he played the same character he played the first time, so he really was in sync with him. I only play games that I can win at. It's <laughs> true. Um, yeah, I think... But I, I do want to play it again. You know, if it was a terrible game, I would just like... I don't even want to give it another shot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it had the bag building. We compared it to Quacks. I give the edge to Quacks on that. It had the area control of the battle. We compared to Ethnos. I give Ethnos, you know, the nod to that. But even with that... You know, the way that this game combines both of those elements, and there's a few other little neat things in there, I think it, overall it, it does it pretty well. And and 6.5 is still good for me. But yeah, that's where I'm at. What's another game that you would give a 6.5, 7 range? Because I, 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 I know Johnny's scale pretty well, but I don't know, like, what's a 7 for you, just out of curiosity? Hmm. Hansa Tatanica. Oh, why? <laughs> because Chris made us play it. <laughs> he liked Hansa Tatanica. I though. did you actually. Were, yeah, I think you I was, won. <laughs> yeah, that one was cool. Um, I like like uh, uh, Elder Realm. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. If Dueling's a seven, then six point five for Wonderland's War is not as bad as you guys make no. it seem. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not bad. Like, don't get me wrong. Like. Like, I'm getting you wrong, pro- okay? My wife would like this kind of game. Why do you hate my games? This is not my type of game. Uh, so, I think I like the game the most out of everybody. I give it a pretty solid 8. And I think one of the things that maybe my co-hosts are neglecting to think about is the game is really light, okay? Like, there's not a ton of... I mean, there are a lot of rules, but it wasn't like it was a hard teach... And honestly, like once your your players understand the tea party phase and the effects it has on the on the war phase, it really just becomes like a little like everyone's like just engaged with each other pulling the chips. I don't think it's the deepest game in the world. We talked about the randomness of the chips. We talked about all the different like abilities you're trying to keep track of and all this like just honestly kind of like a lot of fluff because once you're out of the tea party phase, it's a it's a chip pulling simulator, which is not a bad thing because with the right audience, I could see, you know, my friends that like to play lighter games, you know, we do the tea party phase and everyone's like, okay, let's see how my let's see how my bag worked. And they just start pulling and running the simulation to see like, oh, it actually worked. My flamingo whatever combo worked or my rose forge strategy worked. And those are the kind of things that I think that is worth kind of exploring more as you get a little bit more experience in the game. And I think that given the weight and the relatively quick playtime for what it is, I mean, would I play it over Rising Sun or Forbidden Stars? No, absolutely not. But there's a there's a there's a market for this game and I think that there's a ton of people that would really enjoy it. For me, I have that group already in mind. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I wasn't too concerned about the randomness and kind of getting screwed over by a bad draw early like Johnny did because in my mind, this isn't a heavy strategy game. This is a game that I'll pull out and laugh at my friends for failing and laugh at myself for failing and then just have a good time. So I give it an eight. I definitely will be keeping this in my collection. I don't think that there's a lot of games that does what this does in this way like like kind of like Kane said, the art, the graphic design is very appealing to maybe like Gateway Plus gamers and for kind of like the same area where Ethnos and Quacks fits. This is probably just like one half step, maybe a step up from those games. Yeah. And I would pull this out before like, or let me rephrase that, with new gamers, I would pull this out before I pulled out Blood Rage or Rising Sun or... Any other Just area control? Like air control? Okay. Yeah, I, I, it fits a niche for me, and I think that's partially why I enjoy the game more. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were looking at it just on purely on mechanics alone, I mean they're okay. You know, bag bag building is not my thing either. I yeah. I despise quacks. I do not enjoy See, playing that I game. Actually, at all. I would play quacks over this. And How? I'm not- all right, Kane, you're the new co-host for sure. <laughs> well, like, so, like, I know. Just like going back to the cons, like the game is just a little bit heavier than Quacks, but the effort and the reward payoff is still 
it just doesn't fit the, the play length and time for me. But the same thing, we talked about how you felt like the... Well, okay, I, I agree with you. The play length is a deterrent compared to Quacks. But we literally just spent like talk, like 30 minutes talking about how the um, bag building part was just an exercise. Like you didn't enjoy pulling the chips out of this. Yeah. Even though there's way more to this strategically than there is to Quacks. Kane is right. Quacks lets you enables you to get these longer string of combos mm-hmm. earlier because there's a lot more positive yeah. effects than negative effects. And this one, your co- your string of combos is never that long because you're just doomed for failure. Yeah, because it adds more negative modifiers yeah, to it. Yeah, but if this game is has a deeper bag pulling than Quacks, how could you pick Quacks over this? I think it's because I don't like that mechanic in general already. So I would rather <laughs> go faster. Yeah. You just want to get it over like with? Like Quacks gets, like me and me, me, my wife play Quacks. It's over in 35, 40 minutes at most. You know, oh, when I play with three players and the rule set's a little bit a little bit lighter. Um, I enjoyed the tea party phase like way much more in this game. But it's not enough to offset the core. That's you know, fair. Pull, pull off is just it's still push your luck bag building. And, you know, I'm never going to, like, you'll never, I don't think I can think of any game that I would rate higher than a six or seven with that mechanic as mm-hmm. the score. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not criticizing. Everyone has their own taste, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just, I'm curious because I think it's just because in my mind I hate quacks so much. I don't like bag builders, but I liked this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because the tea me... party phase, I think, is what separates this from I love that. the tea party phase, yeah. for sure. So, Rondell is another of my favorite mechanism, so that's why I can't hate it on it. Yeah, I like Rondell's. But with Quacks, you know, you the satisfying, you're pulling, combos are hitting, you go for a long distance. And then, even when you bust, there's still a, it's not all bad. You can still either choose, you know, the points or the other thing, I can't remember off the top of my head. In this game, you, there were several times, you, you're just pulling two chips, three chips, and you either have to back out because you're afraid of busting or you bust. And there's no consolation prize. That's it. So it does two things negative in that aspect where you're not going in a long run. And there, it, it doesn't, there's no insight or uh, incentive to pull that one more chip because if you bust, you lose everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh, that's a good point. I the didn't negative think feedback about loop that. is uh, more, more potent in this one, I would say. Bro, you're an Arkham Horror fan. How could you not be all about <laughs> negative feedback loops? That yeah, game is nothing but a negative feedback yeah, loop. It's pretty easy now. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, I guess that about wraps it up. Uh, I want to thank Kane for coming to join us for game day and the podcast. Hope you had fun. Hopefully he'll be a more frequent part of the show as we play more and more now that our schedule is yeah. kind of lightened up a little bit. Um, as always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at OneChitWonder. And our email is OneChitWonder at gmail.com. Um, King, you want, to, you want to close out for us? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's great to be the new co-host of One Shit Wonder. <laughs> you can find Johnny on his new podcast, Johnny Solo's Sad Games Only. Yep. <laughs> um, no, but this was a lot of fun, and, and I hope I can do this more often. Yeah. Every time we play, we're going to record an episode. So yeah. if you're here, you're on the show. All right. All right. All right. Thanks, y'all. See Thank you, you next time. Later. <laughs>